in lonely contemplation of his own mistake. Balfour would wear his falsehood as a fetter until the shipping crate was found. He needed to do it quickly, and without Lauderback's knowledge, let alone his help. Mr. Lauderback, he said, I think you ought to go and play the politician for a while. Go shake some hands, you know, throw the dice, play some bowls, spend a night at the theatre, leave all this aside. And what about you? I'll go down the wharf and ask a round of questions. Uh, what Carver's up to? Where he's gone? A shadow of alarm passed over Lauderback's face. Thought you said he'd gone to Canton. Isn't that what you said? Tea trading? But we ought to make sure, Balfour said. We ought to be ready. He was thinking about the missing shipping crate and the new possibility that Francis Carver might have stolen it. But what need had Carver of avenging himself twice upon Alistair Lauderback when the first blackmail had come off without a hitch? Discreetly, said Lauderback. Discreetly, when you ask your questions? Nothing to it, said Balfour. The fellows know me down on Gibson Quay, and you remember I've done a fair patch of shipping with Godspeed. Anyway, better me than you. Yes, better, said Lauderback. Yes, all right. You do that, then. He nodded. In fact, this was the very kind of delegation to which Alistair Lauderback was accustomed as a man of means. It was not strange to him that Balfour should devote his Saturday to straightening out another man's affairs. He did not pause to wonder whether Balfour could be risking his own reputation by associating himself with the story of cuckoldry, blackmail, murder and revenge, and nor did he spare a thought for how Balfour might be recompensed. He felt only relief. An invisible order had been restored, the same kind of order that ensured his boiled egg was ready every morning and the dishes cleared away. He plumped the knot of his necktie with his fingers and rose from the table as a man refreshed. Lightly, Balfour said, And you ought to steer clear of Lydia Wells, I think, just because... Of course, of course, of course, said Lauderback. He picked up his gloves with his left hand and reached to shake Balfour's hand with his right. We'll get the bastard, won't we? Suddenly, Balfour realised that Lauderback knew exactly the nature of the twinkle by which Frank Carver had him tied. He could not have explained how he arrived at this sudden realisation, but all at once, he knew. Yes, he said, shaking Lauderback's hand very firmly. We'll get the bastard, by and by. Mars in Sagittarius In which Cowell Devlin makes a poor first impression. Terao Taufare offers information at a price. Charlie Frost is suspicious, and we learn the crime of which Francis Carver was convicted years ago. When a restless spirit is commissioned, under influence, to solve a riddle for another man, his energies are at first readily and faithfully applied. But Thomas Balfour's energies tended to span a very short duration, if the project to which he was assigned was not a project of his own devising. His imagination gave way to impatience, and his optimism to an extravagant breed of neglect. He seized an idea only to discard it immediately, if only for the reason that it was no longer novel to him. He started in all directions at once. This was not at all the mark of a fickle temper, but rather of a temper that is accustomed to enthusiasm of the most genuine and curious sort, and so will accept no form of counterfeit. 
but it was nevertheless something of an impediment to progress. Balfour was ready to rise from the table and quit the Palace Hotel, when suddenly it struck him that it would be a great shame to leave a pitcher of perfectly good wine half-filled. He poured the last of it into his glass and was raising it to his lips, and then he saw over the rim of the glass that the clergyman at the nearby table had put aside his tract and folded his hands. He was looking at Balfour intently. Like a child caught thieving, Balfour put down the glass. Reverend, he said. It was on reflection, rather early in the day to be drunk. Good morning, returned the reverend man, and from his accent Balfour knew at once that he was Irish. He relaxed and allowed himself to be rude. He picked up his glass again and drank deeply. The clergyman said, Your friend is a lucky man, I think. What an unfortunate face he had, caught in a perennial boyhood with that bunched mouth, that pouting bottom lip, those teeth like nubbins. One envisaged him in shorts and gaiters, munching on a slab of bread and dripping, carrying a parcel of books that had been buckled together with an old belt of his father's, slapping it against his leg as he ate. But he was thirty, perhaps forty in age. Balfour narrowed his eyes. Don't recall we were speaking for your benefit. The man inclined his head as if conceding a point. No, indeed, he said. And to the benefit of no other man either, I should hope. Meaning what, precisely? Merely that no man ought to profit from overhearing bad news. Least of all, a member of the clergy. Bad news, you call it? Thought you just said he was lucky. Lucky to have you, the clergyman said and Balfour blushed. You know, he said angrily, it doesn't count as a confession just because it sounds like a secret and you heard it on the sly. You are quite right to make that distinction, the clergyman said, still in pleasant tones. But I did not overhear you by design. As to your design, as to what's intentioned and what's not, who's to know it? You were talking very loud. Who's to know your design, I meant? With respect to my intentions, I'm afraid you'll have to trust in my word, or in my cassock, if my word is not enough. Trust what in your word and your cassock? Trust what enough? Trust that I did not mean to eavesdrop, said the clergyman patiently. Trust that I can keep a secret when I'm asked. Well, Balfour said, you've been asked. I'm asking. And you ought to leave off mentioning luck and bad news. That's your opinion. That's not what you heard. You're right. I do apologize. Unsolicited, you know, and not appreciated. I do apologize. I shall be silent. Balfour waved his finger. But you should leave off, because I've asked you, not because of the confessing rule, because it wasn't a confession. No, indeed. We agree on that. He added in a different voice. In any case, confession is a Catholic practice. But you're Catholic. All of a sudden, Balfour was feeling very drunk. Free Methodist, the reverend man corrected, without offence. But he added as a gentle reprimand, You can't tell a great deal about a man from his accent, you know. It's Irish, said Balfour stupidly. My father hails from the county Tyrone. Before I came here, I was in Dunedin. Before that... I was in New York. New York, now there's a place. The Reverend shook his head. Everywhere is a place, he said.
Balfour faltered, 